Voices of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church in Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. Our Sunday worship is on site and online at 9.30 a.m. And you can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any popular podcast platforms. This week, Pastor Jordan continues our series, Meeting Jesus at the Table, with a sermon titled, Relationships and Reciprocity. The scripture comes from Luke 14, 7 through 14, and is read by our scout, Troop 260. The reading today is from Luke 14, chapter 7 through 14. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them the parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. So if if so, the hosts who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all those other guests. For all those who, have, who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then, then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends brother, or your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do... They may invite you back, so you will be repaid. But, but, but when you give a banquet, banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. We are going through meeting Jesus at the table, and uh, as you heard the scripture, the story, today we're talking about the, the great banquet, and the chapter in the meeting Jesus at the table book, and the sermon today is titled Relationships and Reciprocity. And I want to talk about one thing first, if we're thinking about the great banquet, and it talked about the places that people sat and kind of their status, where you, where you sat showed your status. And I thought of Uh, Growing up, my family tried really hard every night to have a family meal together. And of course, there is your spots at the table, right? So we had, this was our seating arrangement, okay? And of course, right, you have dad and mom at the heads of the table. And that kind of signals power, authority, right? And then you had... uh, my older brother, Taylor, the golden child, (laughs) sitting next to my dad, the closest to power, right? Um, Don't worry, he's not going to watch this. He he would never. Uh, (laughs) Could tell I'm the middle child. Uh, So then I'm on the other side by myself, of course, because I'm the middle child. I'm the forgotten one, right? Oh, don't, (laughs) that's not not what I was wanting, no. (laughs) And then my little brother, Blake, 
is sitting there, and, and where you sat signals something about the family order, right? And maybe you have that as well. Maybe you think about what, where you grew up in your family, where were the seating arrangements, maybe your family even now, and those change over time as your family gets bigger and bigger. So it, it shows something. And there's other ways in our world that we, we kind of signal different status, right? Uh, one of the things I remember uh, in the church I grew up in, and I think even this church had it back when we were in the sanctuary that's actually Cane Hall now, is remember these chairs? Yeah. I should bring those back. Fancy chairs for the pastors. <laughs> but it sat up you know, kind of up here, and it signaled some elevation or power and authority within the pastor. I do actually like how uh, we've done it here, where the pastors, we sit down there, we're with the people, then we come up and do our thing. Uh, but that was more of a status symbol as well. Uh, another thing is, I've noticed since we've had a, the Cloverleaf School here during the week, I, was, I came in here one day at like, two o'clock. Pickup is at three. There is already a car waiting in the pickup line, all right? And everybody's rushing to get, the get to the front first in the pickup line, but that coming an hour early, what are we doing here, right? Maybe it shows that you think, you think if you're there first that you're a better parent than other parents. I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon. And then we also, if we think about seating arrangements, we think about here in this room, right? Where we, some of us have our seat. Some of us have our seat that we go to. That's my seat. Back in the day, way back, uh, people actually got to, could buy their seats in church, right? So guess who got the best seats? The people that could pay the most, right? And so there's the status and inequality there as well. This is my favorite one because this is, this is me. This is for me. Um, I don't know if you've seen this at the movie theater. I am an A-lister. <laughs> I can't stand in line with the other people, right? I get a, a quick line to the concession stand. Uh, it makes me really uncomfortable. I never use it, actually. Uh, it's, it's the weirdest thing that they've, they've put in place. But just because you're an A-lister, you can cut to the front of the line. So we have things in our world that, you know, signal your status, who gets there first, who doesn't. And the parable of the great banquet touches on this and challenges societal norms and it calls for a deeper understanding of humility, hospitality, and honor in our own lives. Uh, Jesus, in this story, is at a dinner that's put on by a Pharisee ruler and everyone except Jesus that was there was part of that ruler's inner circle. And that's what the dinner was for, is to honor those who are around the most powerful person. And I think this gives us some insight into the time that Jesus lived. Uh, it's kind of like, a little bit like shoots and ladders, right? And shoots and ladders, you, you have to climb the ladder, right? We all want to climb the ladder in life, whether it's success, family, things like that. And then there's that, always that danger of one wrong step and you're going to slip back down to where you were before. 
Scholars tell us that in the culture that Jesus was in, it operated under the binaries of shame and honor, which basically means that people's behavior was shaped by the two things, the threat of being publicly shamed and the promise of being publicly honored. Now, I think there's still pieces of this in our culture, right? It's just different. But this was more communal. So like if you were publicly shamed, you were alone, right? Now we have more of an individualistic culture and it kind of, kind of mutes this a little bit because it's all about you and your own reputation and your success. I think it's difficult to grasp the power of the emotional, uh, the emotional power of your reputation, reputation in the ancient world. To be honored moved you forward in the eyes of everyone who mattered most to you. And then if you were shamed, it brought you back down. Kind of like shoots and ladders. I think with thinking pastorally about this, this passage and what it means, uh, Jesus is teaching us something about humility and honor, drawing uh, parallels to our modern day as well. Um, in our own lives, or what are the ways in which we have our own status? What are the things that we go to, and if somebody's either in our seat, in our place, doing the thing we're supposed to do, that you just feel that offensiveness in you, right? You feel that reactiveness, like, no, that's mine. That's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. We all have that in different ways. Jesus, in all that he does in the Gospels, is he's showing us the kingdom of reversals. Everything kind of gets turned upside down. What people were thinking is the way we live by the law. Jesus says, no, it's actually this way. And it's often he's, he is tempted by power. Jesus at this meal, it's a temptation of power. The Pharisee ruler is inviting him because what do rulers do when they see somebody who's gaining a lot of influence they try to cozy up to them first right try to get them on their side on their team within their own power and to have power over them maybe that's what the pharisee ruler was doing with jesus but whenever jesus is faced with the opportunity to gain more power he lessens it he goes the other way with no power Think about the temptations in the desert. Those are all about power. All those temptations are about power, and Jesus denies it. This is about power, and Jesus then lectures them, right? Sometimes when I read these stories, I kind of chuckle just thinking about being a fly on the wall in that room and just how the energy in the room would change when Jesus would be like, all right, people, this is silly. This is actually how it is. And then it's threatening those people's places and statuses of power. Have you ever been in a room like that when that happens? It's not fun. Not a fun feeling. Jesus, Jesus wasn't the guy you invited to your dinner parties to make it fun. Right? He was always going to teach you something about what he saw. So Jesus' teachings on humility and self giving love for reshaping human relationships and societal structures comes about in this, this banquet parable. The great reversals that await us at this heavenly banquet, ban- I can't speak banquet, 
banquet with the risen Christ should reshape the way in which we sit at the table in our own world. And I think one of the area concerns we see throughout scripture is the Lord's Supper, the table. Paul in Corinthians brought condemnation upon uh, a church uh, that what was happening when they gathered to celebrate the Lord's Supper in the context of an evening community meal. Wealthier members arrived early, stuffing themselves and getting drunk. Poorer members, having to work late, found nothing left when they arrived. The table was not filling them with good things, but sending them away empty. The Lord's table was replicating rather than challenging the given social order with all of its inequalities. And Paul had to condemn them for this and say this is not the way of Christ. It reminds me of something I saw back in the fall. And there was a study done, these are some statistics, uh, about, oh yeah, you're not going to see that. Luckily I have another slide for you. But what these graphs are showing is church attendance, religious services at, attending at least once a week. All right, And it's divvied up by um, your education. So we're finding what has grown, the attendance in churches has grown for those who have a college degree or a master's degree. In influ- affluent areas, very white areas, it has increased. For those who have less than a college degree, it has decreased since 2008 from 24% to 18%. And who happens to be uh, without a college degree and working class? It often tends to be people in the poor economic class, people of color, and so they're not making it to church. There could be multitudes of reasons, but one of the reasons I have thought of is that they have to be working multiple jobs. They don't have time to stop and go to church. They may have to work on Sunday, or, or maybe Sunday is the only day off they have if they're lucky. This is a problem for the American church. Without people that make us more whole, we get lopsided. A church needs everybody in every class, every race. The diversity makes us stronger. There's other places in our world too where we are, um, where we have these same things: lower classes, divisions. I think about things like education. There's disparities in education funding often result in unequal opportunities for students from different socioeconomic backgrounds. You can see that all the time in schools in different areas and kind of funding that they receive. You see it in employment, you see it in healthcare, our criminal justice system, housing, and access to resources. There's this thing called food deserts, and I first learned about that when uh, Michelle and I were in college in the Chicago area. Food deserts are areas urban areas in which there isn't quality food available. You have to go out to the suburbs to get it. And some people don't have those resources to get out there. So what they are left with is gas station food, right? They do some of their shopping at gas stations. And we all know those, that food is, is not good for you, right? 
And so even that, the lack of the resources, the lack of the, the nutrition that they would need to live healthy lives, we do this in so many ways in our world. But Jesus, in this story and parable, is calling us a radical call to humility and service as a countercultural response to our societal norms of privilege and entitlement. I think of a story I heard. Uh, I heard of a, a priest, a Catholic priest, that, of all things, he was on a, a comedian's podcast. Uh, and I, it was like a two or three hour podcast, and they were having a discussion about what he does in LA. His name's Father Greg. And he has what's called Homeboy Industries. All right, he, and I'm going to read what was on their website. In 1986, when Homeboy Industries founder Gregory Boyle became the pastor of Dolores Mission Church, it was the poorest Catholic parish in Los Angeles. The parish included Alicio Village and Pico Gardens. Then the largest public housing projects west then they were the largest public housing projects of west of the Mississippi. They also had the highest concentration of gang activity. That was saying something given Los Angeles' Los Angeles's reputation as the gang capital of the world. At the time, law enforcement tactics of suppression and justice, criminal justice policies of mass incarceration were the prevailing means to deal with gang violence. But where others only saw criminals, Father Greg saw people in need of help. Today, Homeboy Industries is the largest gang intervention, rehabilitation, and re-entry program in the world, welcoming thousands through their doors each year. Each year, they welcome thousands of people uh, seeking to transform their lives, whether joining their 18-month employment and re-entry program or seeking discrete services such as tattoo removal or substance abuse resources, their clients are embraced by a community of kin kinship and offered a variety of free uh, wraparound services to facilitate healing and growth. In addition to serving almost 7,000 members of the immediate Los Angeles community in 2018, uh, their flagship 18-month employment and re-entry program was offered to over 400 men and women. Homeboy Industries making an impact with people that most of us would rather not deal with. People that do need help. People that are put in positions to be in gangs because of the, the things that are often out of their control. What they're born into. The economic issues they're born into. But Father Greg saw that this is something we can change. Not with criminal charges, but with love and helping and supporting and lifting people up to be better citizens in their communities. I think we do have society structures like in Jesus' time. We can look back always and be like, well, that was weird. Why did they do that? Nothing's new, right? Nothing's new under the sun. We, we do things over and over again as humans. But Jesus calls us to radical humility and to help those that can't repay us. Because we look for that reciprocity, right? We, we look for, if we invite somebody over for dinner, there's this unconscious, unconscious expectation that they're going to invite you for dinner as well at some point. And what Jesus says in inviting the poor to the dinner 
without expecting to be repaid, isn't, it affects the people you invite, but it's more about changing our hearts. It's changing our orientation to those around us and how we treat them. I think in ways we need to prioritize our service and compassion over our own personal advancements, our own personal egos, our own ways in which we put ourselves at the head of the table and then we get to pick who gets to sit where. Instead, we, we let people pick their seats first and then we take the last empty seat. Practicing humility is the biggest piece of this. And this is from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. It's one of my favorite passages in scripture. Uh, and it says, and this is just the, this is the goal for humility. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I actually think in some ways for us Christians, and this includes me, this isn't, I'm not, I'm, um, I'm not immune from this, is unconsciously, I think sometimes we don't want to do what Jesus did. Because what happened to Jesus? He was killed. By humbling himself and challenging societal norms and, and loving the people that the society says not to love, he died for that. So we're afraid we might end up dying for it. So I invite you all to embrace the transformative power of Christ's love that he speaks about this great banquet, committing our lives that are characterized by humility, hospitality, and honor. So this week, think about how might you practice Jesus' advice to invite and welcome those who cannot repay you. And this isn't just a meal thing. Like, sometimes we get stuck in that too, where we're like, well, I don't really have meals where I invite people over. This is a whole life thing. How do you, how do you treat people? How do you gift people that can't repay you? Because you're going to be helping someone else and you're going to be changing your own heart in the process. And this week, face your own entitlement and privilege and uncover your own blind spots. If I go to a movie this week, I'll have to face my A-list priority, right? 
But joking aside, there are things that we do, even unconsciously, if we just try to be a little bit more aware of what we do and how we treat others and what we think of ourselves, maybe that's the time where things can start changing. God can transform our own hearts. There's parallels between this heavenly banquet and our practice of communion. Emphasizing the call to challenge social inequalities within our own church community. We saw that with uh, those who have less than a college degree. How they're not able to come to church as often as those who do. And so that's why we have this table. We have this table to remind us of that we all belong to each other. That we belong to God. That God is the thing that connects all of us. God is what gives us life nourishes us, and humbles us, reminding ourselves that we're not the ones in control, and that we are the ones that simply need to follow. Follow the example of Christ's love, compassion, and humility. So you are invited to this table. Like I said earlier, it's not New Hope's table, it's not a Presbyterian table, but it's God's table. So all are invited to participate. If you are gluten-free, we have an option up here that you can come grab from either Caress or I. And then as you get out for the servers, they'll be up front. Uh, Go out of the pews to your right. And as you are ready, you may come and join us at the table. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you have enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. If you want to know more about New Hope, you can subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, The Midweek Memo, by going to our website and signing up. Friends, may you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and may you go and love your neighbor as yourself. Go in peace.